We, choir, we traded a choir for these two. Oh, yeah. That works. Everybody's trying to get back to where they go. I love it. <laughs> this is a good song. Makes you want to rise. Good. I like it. I like it a lot. Second Chronicles chapter 20. And uh, I'll speak to you this morning on the subject of afraid but faithful. Afraid but faithful. Jody, I take it you were the substitute for nursery for a moment. Thank you very much. Did you administer the tranquilizer while you were in there? They were moving too fast. They were moving too fast. <laughs> Couldn't get them all. <laughs> Had to do a general aerosol. It's like a Chronicles 20. <laughs> I always wonder when people are newer to our church and stuff and I make comments like that, they're kind of like, oh, what are you doing here? Nah. Believe me, if you've come in at this stage of the church, you missed the nursery and some stages that you would have scared you to death. Um, wish you could have been with us over at Liberty Baptist when we were getting it started and we were meeting in a tent all winter. The nursery was the corner of the tent. The nursery toys were the rocks. Nursery casualties were high. All the kids survived. <clears throat> they did all right. Second Chronicles chapter twenty. By the way, we had a newborn in that, and ours were in all the early stages here. A mobile mini building out here with the bars on the window. We called it San Quentin. When that was out here, we had all the kids in that. <clears throat> yeah, all right. It'll teach them character. Afraid but faithful. Here we find a fellow in the Bible by the name of Jehoshaphat. It's actually a person. It's a real name. And uh, it is a man who is a king and a, and a good king. Not a king without flaws. As no humans are without flaws. And there were some things in his life early on that were errors he made concerning getting united with King Ahab, with the king of Israel. At this time, Israel, as we know, was a divided kingdom. Jehoshaphat was <clears throat> king of the of the Judah and the, the southern tribe, and uh, he made an alliance with Ahab, and that was an error. But he, the Lord, delivered him out of that because God said, "I see." He said, "You have some good things in you. You're preparing your heart to serve me." And then after that incident, he just wholly gave himself to serve the Lord and had quite a lengthy and prosperous reign. And the people who had him as a king were very blessed people because he was always trying to put the Word of God out into, into the people. In fact, he made sure Levites were trained to go into all the towns and teach people the Word of God. Isn't that great leadership? And here in chapter 20, we're right in the middle of his illustrious reign and the things that were with him. And uh, we're going to see that he came to a situation that's a very real situation he didn't know what to do with as a king and the children uh, uh, of of that kingdom. And I say children, those are adults too, but the people of his kingdom, they they didn't know what to do either. They were in a a situation that seemed like no way out. And I got to looking at this and studying on it and I knew it would help you this morning. And so we're going to begin reading in chapter 20 in just a moment, but I invite you to pray with me this morning. And I know we pray for the offering and stuff, but let's pray together. While we're praying, would you ask the Lord to open your heart for the Word of God?
so you get what you need. I've sought the Lord and sought to study and be prepared this morning to give you what the Lord wants out of His Bible. And now, now is time when you prepare, and hopefully you've been doing so ahead of this, and ask the Lord to open your heart and your understanding for what God has. So let's pray together, all right? Father, thank You so much. I'm glad to open this book in front of Your people. This is Your book. These are Your words. Lord, You know that. And Lord, I believe that it can build them up as they need to be. And I believe, Lord, that it can reveal sin that needs repented of. I believe it can reveal the true condition, whether they're Your child or whether they're lost. Lord, I believe it can show us that have been saved by Your grace how to walk and do and live in front of You. Lord, I pray you'll help me to give emphasis exactly where you want it emphasized in this passage. Thank you for preserving and giving your word. May I this morning properly preach it and represent it, ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Chronicles uh, chapter 12, 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And uh, let's go down through here. In verse 1, it says, It came to pass after this. Now, the this that's there, excuse me just a moment. This that is there that that's referring to was Jehoshaphat and the incident with Ahab. I'm not going to go into all that. But where Jehoshaphat nearly got killed in battle because he was helping the king and God had told him, said, is, is it for you to help the wicked with what they're doing? No, it's not. It's not what God's people, he wants God's people to do. He said, so you just... Uh, anyway, he got out of it with his life. God spared him. God actually turned the hearts of those who were coming at him in battle. They were zeroing in on him to kill him. And it said God spared him by turning their hearts so they turned away from him. And then, then a guy shot a bow at a venture, just pulled back and let her fly. you know. And uh, that hit King Ahab and took him out. And uh, so anyway, it's quite an account. But uh, that's what it's referring to in the beginning here. It says it came to pass after this. So his life's been spared. He's seen the folly of getting yoked up for economic reasons and expansionist reasons with those who deny the true living God. And by the way, Ahab, although he was the king of Israel, he worshipped Baal, a false god, so he's an idolatrous king. It says, came pass after this also that the children of Moab, it's a region and a people of that region, and the children of Ammon, those are known as Ammonites in the Bible, and I won't go into all the history of those two backgrounds, it's quite a history, and with them, other beside the Ammonites came against Jehoshaphat to battle. So if you will, these different groups of people, some of them didn't even really particularly get along well together. You'll see that in a little bit. But they came together and they're going to come against Jehoshaphat and the idea is to wipe him out. They're just coming at him. So he has an invading army coming towards him and his people. Verse 2, Then there came some that said, uh, Jehoshaphat, uh, some that said Jehoshaphat, saying, There cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea. So these are people, lookouts, his intelligence community, if you will, that could give him the information. On this side, Syria, and behold, they be in Hazand on Tamar, which is in Gedi. And they said, There's, there's a massive group of people heading this way. And. Uh, they're, they're coming to you, and they told him right where he was, the place of the wild goats and such is known. And he said, that's where they are. They're close. And they're coming in. And uh, this is a serious group coming, coming armed for battle. So they get this news that someone's coming in uh, to do this. Look in verse 3. And Jehoshaphat feared. 
They had reason to. This was an army capable of taking him and his people out. And these were a people who had shown in their history and the ruthlessness that if they took over the country, it was not going to be a good situation of occupation. It would be especially horrific for the women and the children. And I say need to say no more about that. And so Jehoshaphat's there and he's, he is afraid of this. Something real looming on the horizon. Something there. Something getting ready to happen. He's scared of it. He had fear. Now I want you to look as we're going through and as we're looking at what the Bible says about this, I want you to see um, his response to this fear. Let's see how he responded to this fear. The fear was real. The fear was based on a reality. But yet, sometimes when people are dealing with a reality which makes them fearful, they forget the reality of God. And so, look, see what he did here. Verse 3, And Jehoshaphat feared, what's his response, and set himself to seek the Lord. I wonder how much healthier people would be in their hearts and minds if our response to fear was to seek the Lord. Fear evokes a lot of different responses. Sometimes it evokes aggression, according to the personality type. Something makes you fearful, you're scared of something, smash it. That way you don't have to worry about it. That's one mindset. You say, I don't think that way. Then don't make some of the rest of us afraid. <laughs> um, it's, that, that's the response of certain types. Others to hide. Others is to get bewildered and start naming all the things that could go wrong and invent a hundred things that aren't even happening instead of, I mean, every now and then I want to say to somebody, not to be smart like to them or be caustic, I want to say, isn't the problem you're facing enough? I mean, do you really have to get a bunch of others? Aren't you satisfied? If you're not, let me tell you the seriousness of what's real. <laughs> Maybe get over the others that you're, you're making up. But here this king, and we see, by the way, the Bible says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That includes Old Testament. It's certainly not done away with. And it's profitable. It's profitable for doctrine, for proof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And by the way, it says that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished into all good works. So this is something for us today to learn. And so this fearful, he was afraid. You ever been afraid? And he was afraid. And what did he do? He sought to seek the Lord. He said, I got to see where God is in this. By the way, it wasn't an accusatory running towards God. God, why are you letting this happen? God, why did you let this go on? God, what are you going to do about it? God, what are you going to do? That, 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 that. No. It was seeking the Lord. God, we need you. Notice what he does. Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. It doesn't tell us the details of the fast, how long it was. But he says, I'm going to proclaim the fast. He says, as the king, I'm going to say to the people, and he doesn't attach some punishment to it if you don't comply, but he says, I'm proclaiming that we need to fast. Do you know that that has not been unusual in history? Do you know the nations that were more Christian nations, and no nation's ever been completely Christian in all its believers, but based on the Bible and what it says? Do you know England was wont to proclaim fast and days of prayer and fast? Do you know that's, those things have been proclaimed in our country many times? Before the secularist 
And the evil people misuse their doctrine that they twist so badly called the separation of church and state and they twist it to the exact opposite really of its intention as is written clearly. And presidents have said we need to, we need to seek God. It's a good thing for a people to be reminded of that. Great Britain during the time of Charles Spurgeon who was a pastor in England and he was only in his 20s at the time. The pastor of the largest Baptist congregation in the world. And he, uh, England was going through a severe trial. And there was a, a day of mourning, national mourning and prayer proclaimed. They uh, met and there was a meeting. Over 23,000 people by the nearest count they could, they could get attended that meeting. And as his text, Spurgeon chose the message. They, England, as in the Church of England, which was the official state church. You're talking 1800s. They didn't go for some dried up dead Anglican priest. They brought Spurgeon in and he preached on behold the sword and who it is that, yield, that wields it. And it was a message about judgment and why it comes on nation. And in that message, he preached about the sins and the iniquities of the people and what needed to be got right before God. They didn't sit there and get there and tickle people's ears. Tell them how we need God to bless us so we can keep ignoring His house and running the beer joints and fornicating and shacking up together and all kinds of nonsense going on. He told the truth. Spoke the Word out. May God... May God help us. There's nothing in our country that couldn't be made right if the preachers of God would get right. Open their doors back up and actually preach the Word. May God help us. May God help us to do it. So he proclaimed the fast. I put down a note under that. He sought the Lord and I like this because this is applicable to everybody. You don't have to be a king or a preacher or something. He sought the Lord and used His influence and His position to urge others to seek the Lord. I like that thought. I thought about that. I thought, boy, if we would use our influence. You have influence. You say, I don't have a position. I don't care. A lot of people have position don't have influence. So what's the deal with that? A lot of people have a position they don't have influence at all. Some people don't have any position but they've got influence. Choose influence and use it for the Lord. But how about if we would use our influence wherever it may be and you all influence somebody. Even you young folks, you influence somebody. Or someone's affected by you. What if we were to use our influence to influence people to seek the Lord? Wouldn't that be a good thing to think about that investment in your life? That's a worthwhile investment. And he's scared. What's his response to fear? His response to fear is not one of hostility. It's not one of hiding. It's not one of uh, accusation. But instead, he seeks the Lord. Then let's go on down. It says he proclaimed the fast. And then verse 4, in Judah, which is who he, he, he ruled over, gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. I, I, I noticed this. He sought the Lord before they sought deliverance. You say, well, didn't he want the Lord to deliver him? Certainly he did, but notice the way it's written and what happened. It's when he found out, he gets this news that you've got these vicious folks coming. They're not going to be merciful. They're, they are not going to spare anybody. This is not going to be what 
weird euphemism it is uh, I, don't know, I don't know if it's really a euphemism but weird phrase is used sometimes of civilized warfare no <laughs> I don't know exactly how you get that anyway but but this is not going to be that not when they come and land and so he's fearful for his people fearful for what's going to happen and he seeks the Lord then as the people come together then as the people are coming together fast they ask help of the Lord Let's take a minute to think about it. Let's take a minute to be honest with ourselves and say, do we want the Lord or do we just want His deliverance? Any of you married men, would you like it if your wife would look at you and say, well, yeah, yeah, I appreciate you, but what I'm really interested in is your earning potential. Your wives, would you feel loved? If your husband said, no, it's okay, but what I'm really interested in is you know how to cook and take care of things. And if unfortunately you sit here this morning and you feel that way in either direction, I'm not trying to address the marriage situation, I'm just saying then you have a, you have a real and a unique situation of understanding exactly how the Lord feels about us not caring about him in a real way. I wish you'd give me your serious attention. The uh, I would uh, I would ask us to think about that. From the youngest to the oldest in here, do we want the Lord or do we just want to help? And so it says, he came, he feared the Lord. Then they, verse 5, they ask help. And then notice that they ask help out of all, this, all the cities. They ask Him. Every one of them came out there. So the young and the old and the, those from all the different areas. Verse 5, And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers. I like that. I wrote down a little statement the other day. It came to my mind as I was studying on something. We, uh, I wrote down, the farther we get from where we started, the more we need to remember where we came from. I think that's a good statement. The farther we get from where we started, the longer you've been saved, the longer you've been in the Scripture, the longer you've been serving the Lord the more we need to remember where we came from. In fact, we were lost without God. Needing to learn some things in the Lord. And I hope you can learn some things and be taught. And so he said, O Lord God of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven? And rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? So he's the God of Israel. He's the God of all the earth. And in thine hand is there not power and might so there's none able to withstand thee? You see how he's encouraging himself in the Lord and he's talking to the Lord in a good way. But he's also encouraging himself in the Lord in this. He's, he's, he's just been overwhelmed and think about this. He's fearful because there's an army he can't do anything against. He's in trouble. And so he has to go back when he's seeking the Lord and remember who God is. It's not a flippant thing. When we have all sorts of upheaval and uh, social, economic troubles and different things going on in a strange time in history, 
When the preachers of God that have been in this pulpit get up and, and remind us that God is still in charge of things. That His power has not been curtailed in any way. But the same God who is the saving God is still the same God today. Jehoshaphat's talking to the Lord about this. I'm going to show you something with this. Keep your place there in Chronicles and go to Daniel chapter 4. I think you'll find this to be helpful. Daniel chapter 4. Keep your place there in Chronicles. I'm going to show you a statement made three different times in one chapter. It's a threefold proclamation of, the, of God's power over the kingdoms of this world. The Taliban's not in charge. Mr. Biden definitely is not in charge. Thank God Nancy Pelosi isn't in charge. And no ruling party of any nation is in charge. They're temporarily occupying in a position of influence. What do you think about that? I can name all sorts of powerful world leaders, some that exercise good and some that exercise evil, that you can read about in history. And I'm thinking of a list of them right now in my mind. And you know what all of them have in common? They're dead. You may stick them in a glass coffin and let people come by them all the time, but that guy is still dead. And God's still alive. And some of those that came through my mind were people who set themselves to exterminate the true gospel of Christ. And all those who did, they have something in common. They're dead! And the gospel still has something in common. It's alive. And so whoever will be. Are you in Daniel 4? I suggest if you're not by now, just you're not going to make it, so just listen. Daniel chapter 4, and look in verse 17 if you will. Of course, Nebuchadnezzar, the powerful world ruler, is getting ready to learn the lesson where he's, he's stricken down. Now imagine this. He's actually made like an animal. He eats grass. He becomes like a wild beast. This man, you can read about him in secular history and be totally amazed at the things he did. And we read in the Bible a more perfect history by far and see the things that happened. But let's see what he had to learn. Verse 17 it says, this matter is by the decree of the watchers. And it never completely identifies who that is, uh, but they are uh, some of God's creation in heaven, watchers perhaps. Uh, maybe part of the cherubim, seraphim. I'm not sure. But there's some things that indicate it maybe. This matter is by the decree of the watchers and the demand of the, uh, by the word of the holy ones. Why? To the intent that the living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever He will and setteth up over it the basest of men. Why? Because God will continually show us what our fallen nature is really like. 
Young man, I got to get into the gospel with this week. There seem to be a lot of complexities of his understanding of the gospel, but I think the basic root comes down to this. He does not fully yet comprehend the fact that he's completely lost without Christ. Until he sees himself in a completely lost condition, he would not come to Christ. Daniel 4 and verse 25 Let's begin verse 24. It'll make a lot more sense to you. Daniel speaking to the king. He says, This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king, that they shall drive thee from men. And thy dwelling shall be with the beast of the field. Can you imagine saying this to a monarch with almost unlimited power? It shall beast of the field, and they shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and they shall wet thee with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over thee. I believe it correlates with seven years. Till thou know, hey, now all men have to know something. That's what the Lord God rules. Now you, king, are going to have to learn something. Till thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. Pretty amazing. Threefold proclamation. Look at verse 32. And they shall drive thee from men. Thy dwelling shall uh, be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and seven times shall pass over thee, until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. He went through that. Let's look in verse 34. Let's see the end result. Remember old proud Nebuchadnezzar who right before this fell upon him said, Is not this great Babylon which I have met, built for the glory of my power and the glory of my might? I'm proud of what I've done. Look what happens whenever God restores him. Verse 34, And at the end of the days, in other words, not before God was done with it. the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven and mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High. You remember Nebuchadnezzar saying to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Who's that God who will deliver you out of my hand? Remember that? Remember that? Nebuchadnezzar is the same fellow after God taught him something. Isn't that right? He said, I blessed the Most High. I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion. His rightful authority and power. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. And His kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And He doeth according to His will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay His hand or say unto Him, What doest thou? And Nebuchadnezzar, something never equaled in history, is given back his complete kingdom seven years out of the throne and it returns to him intact. And he uses the rest of his time to honor the God of heaven. That's something, isn't it? Wouldn't it be good if some of the people we mentioned today would actually come to know the Lord? As Christians, I wonder if we don't just want people who seem to be pushing something that threatens our freedoms and what we hold dear. We just want them removed and we completely forget to... Remember that those who trouble us have a soul also. 
That should be a convicting thought for all of us. It is for me. Second Chronicles, I'm back there. We're going to go back here and look. And I want you to see that as he's praying here, that God uh, is his refuge, his resource. He's gone back to God. What do you do when you're afraid? What do I do when I'm afraid? Do we seek the Lord? Or do we have a frustrated, angry response? How do we respond? Do we seek the Lord? There are times you're going to be afraid. I hope that, I hope that you'll do, do well when you have those times and honor the Lord and be a blessing to yourself and others. Verse 7, I'll pick it up there again. It says, Art not thou our God who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel? He's reminding God, this is the promised land we're standing in and you drove people out and now people are coming in to try to drive us and gave it to the seed of Abraham, thy friend forever. I love that. He said, remember Abraham was your friend? That's interesting. Um, he's, called by, he's called by man that name in uh, this verse. And in Isaiah 41.8, Abraham is called by that name. Listen to that verse. It says, But thou, Israel, art my servant. This is the Lord speaking. Jacob, whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham, my friend. And James chapter 2, verse 23 refers to Abraham as the friend of God. I thought, what a tremendous thing that would be. I'd mentioned earlier, what if we took seriously how God feels about us seeking Him? I wouldn't, I wouldn't want my two boys only to come to dad if they needed a loan for something. By the way, again, dad's not an ATM machine. See, I have this funny view of life. Forgive me, I'm a bit of a relic. I think if you want to be treated like an adult, then you should act like an adult. Part of acting like an adult is to take care of yourself. Translation into basic manny knees. If you're mooching, you ain't grown up. Go take care of yourself. Don't mind helping when the person is putting forth everything they can and I can somehow help them go further. But if it's gimme, 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 my boys don't do that to me. If it's gimme, 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 it'd be no way, no way, no way. What do we do? Do we think about God? You say, well, I need God's help. Nothing wrong with it. Can I also submit to you? I think probably, you know, when Peter stepped out of the boat and walked to Jesus, and he said, Bend me, come to the water, after the day on the water, and he steps out of the boat, walks to Jesus, right? People criticize him because he sank. He's the only one who got out of the boat. He did better than I've ever been with it. And, but he got out there, and remember, he turned, saw the waves and the wind, they were boisterous, he got his eyes off Christ, and then he starts going down. It doesn't take long to sink all the way. Sorry about that, Trace. I have a little neurological problem to you back there. Um, they, but it, you start sinking, you sink fast. He didn't have a big long prayer time, did he? Remember what he said? Lord, help me. He's going down. And, uh, and sometimes that's the way it is. I'm not saying God despises that kind of prayer. I'm talking about our continual heart towards the Lord. I'm not saying you're going along, you might do some quick praying. I think you drive enough miles in life to do some of that sometimes, you know what I mean? I've seen some of y'all drive, and I think you cause other people to do that. <laughs> but it's, 
I'm not saying you can't be spontaneous in prayer. I'm not saying it's wrong to ask for help, but Lord, I need help in this. I'm not trying to guide you away from that. What I'm addressing is our day-by-day and our regular relationship with God. Do we see God just as a provision of something we want and we need? Or do we care about the fact that God who made us in our image has emotion? And He wants to be loved so much so that love is the first thing He expressed to us and we love Him because He first loved us. And love is the first and greatest commandment that we love God. God said, you want to know what I really want from you? It's not the sacrifices and all that. I want you to love me because you realize how much I've loved you. And He has built us with a capacity for love so that He can have that relationship with us. I don't understand all that. But God would take something as broken and messed up as we are as people. I want to have that kind of relationship, but he sure seeks it out. And he wants it. My goodness. And so, let's go on down here and look at this. And he says in verse and then verse 8, it says, And they dwelt therein, and have built thee a sanctuary therein for thy name, saying, If when evil cometh upon us, here's some of the evils that could come, is the sword, which is what they were facing right then. Judgment or pestilence. By the way, one definition for pestilence is disease of long duration. You might take note of that. Or pestilence or famine. We stand before this house and in thy presence, for thy name is in this house, and cry unto thee in our affliction, then thou wilt hear and help. He said, Lord, you made a way for us to come to you, and we're coming that way. Can you see humility in this prayer? Can you see what he's doing? And now behold, the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom thou wouldst not let Israel invade, when Israel was coming across the land, God didn't let them destroy them. When they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and destroyed them not, behold, I say, how they reward us. Israel had the capacity to take them out at that time. They didn't. And he said, now look what they're doing. They're coming back at us now. Because to come to cast us out of thy possession, which thou hast given us to inherit. <laughs> o our God, wilt thou not judge them? I want you to see this. And here's the part about being faithful. He's afraid, but look at the faithful. O our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company, that cometh against us, neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. He said, I don't have a battle plan. And if I did, I wouldn't have the capacity to fulfill it. He said, God, our eyes are on you. And uh, look at the next verse. Really take it in. And all Judah stood before the Lord. That's, that's, a, that's quite a thought, isn't it? They're, they're before Him. With their little ones, their wives and their children. How many of you put a child back in the nursery today? You got a little one back there, do you? How many of you got little ones in a, in a junior church somewhere around here? You hanging around, okay? They're standing there with all of us. I wrote a word beside that. I wrote the word Vulnerability. 
This isn't some kind of abstract discussion about their religious beliefs. There's a well-armed, numerically superior army coming towards them, intending to destroy them. And as evidence of the vulnerability, here are the wives, here are the children. Everything they hold precious hangs in the balance. If we could see the reality of that, we would be far less flippant in our Christianity. One of the things I'm supposed to do as a, as a preacher is teach the young men to be sober-minded. You're supposed to know how to think seriously. I need you to be young men. Why? Because serious business. American Christians have this mistaken idea, I'm afraid, that we're going to be able to just keep playing church and putting God to the side and giving Him time if we get a chance for it. And somehow everything you know is going to keep going as it is. That's a mistake. Because it's not going to. So there's a vulnerability here. They're seeking the Lord because they realize it's serious business. It is about time for you to get serious. Quit fooling around. Take care of yourself and your family. Be the kind of son, the kind of daughter, the kind of man, the kind of woman you ought to be before the Lord. Honor God, not be playing games. Confess secret sin and get it right because it's not secret before the Lord. Isn't it about time? How far will it have to go before you think it's time? And so, they have the vulnerability. They stood before the Lord with their little ones and with their wives and their children. Verse 14, Then upon Jehazel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jeel, the son of Mattaniah, a Levite. So he's a priest who teaches the Word of God. Of the sons of Asaph. So he would have been involved with the music. Isn't that important? Came the Spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation. Isn't that interesting? The Spirit of the Lord came on him. The king's praying and the Spirit of the Lord comes on him. And he said, Hearken ye all Judah and, all, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou King Jehoshaphat. Now he's speaking. Of Thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. It's God's battle. That's what it's about. I got my hair cut this week. And uh, man, notice that a little shorter than I usually get it. And uh, a little funny story, but it wouldn't be appropriate for the setting of the message. But as I went in the barber shop, the, the two men that are in there, the one fellow, he, I came in and I walked in the door. He said, Well, preacher man, tell us what's going on with all this stuff. And I said, Well, you want to know? Yeah, we do. So what's going on, preacher man? He's not taunting with that. That's just kind of how he dresses. And I said, what's going on? And uh, he was talking about things, Afghanistan, these different things. 
serious, serious business, serious concerns. The two different folks I know who have loved ones getting ready to ship out. Go over there, that mess. I said, well, you don't want to know. I said, well, the battle that you see is not the battle that's roaring. And I said, what's going on worldwide is not what appears to the eye. And sure, it's been used, many things are being used for political advantages and manipulation. There's a lot of strange uses of technology going on right now, which I'll not enter into at the moment. But there's something bigger going on. It's, it's what's going on. The battle is God's. The warfare is the same as it's always been. It's against Satan and the Lord. It's against the darkness of this world and the light of Christ. And the main thing we need to do is stay faithful to our commander and let our light so shine. I liked it. The little fellow said to me this week, I don't know who it was. Somebody else went to, oh, I don't know who it was. Uh, the, uh, I can't remember who it was. He, he said to me, I said something about letting your light so shine. He goes, that's right. He says, you're not supposed to shine your light. Listen to this. I've never heard anybody say this. You may have heard a lot, but I thought it was interesting. He said, you're not supposed to shine your light. You're supposed to let your light so shine. There's a difference in that. And I thought, huh. This guy, I talked to him, and I didn't know if he had real good sense in a couple areas, but man, that made sense. But he, uh, he said uh, here, he said, don't be dismayed. He said, he said if the battle is God's, Who's really, whose name's really a reputation here? Who's, whose reputation's on the line? The Lord's going to show Himself for who He is. Do you know every knee shall bow? Every tongue shall confess? You made a good statement to me this morning, Mrs. Short, when we were driving in. You said, uh, don't people realize that they're not going to be able to protest against God? That's a good statement. They're going to organize some kind of protest against the Lord of Heaven. It ain't going to happen. Not gonna happen. Um, <laughs> let's see what else happens here. Verse sixteen: Tomorrow go ye down against them. Behold, they come up by the cliff of Ziz, and you shall find them at the end of the brook, before the wilderness of Jeruel. Jeruel, excuse me. Ye shall not need to fight in this battle. Now, there were other battles they had to fight in, but they didn't have to fight in this one. May God give us wisdom to know which ones are ours to fight and which ones aren't. May we be, may we be faithful in both situations. You shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves. He said, get prepared like you're going to. You see that? You need to be prepared. You need to be ready. But God's going to do something here. Set yourselves. Stand ye still. And that's not just a physical thing, Matthew, of them not moving around. It's inside. It's a calm assurance. We sang that song, didn't we? Blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. That's the kind of thing he's talking about. You shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves. Stand ye still. And see the salvation of the Lord with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Fear not, nor be dismayed. That's moved to a point of absolute giving up. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, a position of humility, the king's bowing his head. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem 
fell before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Can you see the progression of what happened? Fear, seeking the Lord, asking the help of the Lord, and then worshiping God. I do, I, I do not say this as a rebuke towards you as a congregation. It's not in my heart at all that way. I say this as an admission, and I, I think you might see the reality of it with me. I believe that we, Lighthouse Baptist Church, are weak in worship. I believe that I, your pastor, I believe I'm weak in worship. Worship isn't, certainly isn't some kind of rock and roll show grossly mislabeled as praise and worship. The dishonor of God's Spirit. It's not some type of uh, thing we organize up to do in church. It's real worship of the Lord. Where you and I come before the presence of the Lord individually and when we gather together and acknowledge who God is. It's not formal worship or what they would call a high church atmosphere, but it's showing proper reverence towards God. That even when these hallways are so busy and there's laughter in our place, and our place is a noisy place, it really is, and singing and we laugh together as a family and we we enjoy things together yet over overarching all of it is a reverent understanding of who god is it's not a playtime thing it doesn't mean it's always sorry we're certainly not somber unless the occasion calls for it but but we're we can rejoice and have joy see seriousness brings joy which is long lasting it isn't the flippancy of this kind of uh Weak, so-called happiness that doesn't last. And so they worship God. Do you come? We sing the song, Brethren, we have met to worship. I wonder how much of that we really do. I'm not chiding this. I'm trying to help you. God's doing something in my heart and I'm trying to help you as He does this with me. I want to share it with you. When we pick up our songbook, many of you are like I am. You've got most of them memorized. And if not, you can kind of hum through most part of it, huh? When we sing, do we sing unto the Lord? I enjoyed that song this morning by the choir. It's kind of a little faster beat and a little, little happy song. I like that this morning. We shall rise. In the resurrection morning, we shall rise. I like the different parts. The men, we shall rise each time you went up more. I was hoping to rise about five times if y'all could hit that. I like that. We sing these things. We meet together. <laughs> we get scared to death by the nursery thing. <laughs> yeah, I was telling someone that the vibrator for the nursery goes off. It's right between them. <laughs> I said, we shall rise. And there they went. <laughs> straight up there. Um, Darren, Darren and Sean headed straight up. But, they, uh, and, uh, but when we do these things, as we're in the midst of it, while we are enjoying it, Let's have a worship for God. Let's let Him work on us. Let's come giving Him what He wants. You know, God wants something out of our meeting together. God, it's God's idea that we meet together and don't forsake that assembly. That's what God said, not man. It's not a tradition of religion. It's not a Western uh, civilization way of worshiping. Christ Himself established the church and God Himself said that it's not to forsake its assembly. God did that. It neither derives its, its freedom from government, nor does it owe its allegiance to government in these matters. 
It comes from God. It answers only to God. Why? We need to get this down and worship a God who's above every government, every leader, everything. Why? Because we follow the Lord. We obey the magistrates and that and these matters which are things of the earth, but the things of worshiping God, we submit that to no man. We serve the Lord. And in so doing, any ruler in any nation in this world, if they had sense, would understand people who would follow the Bible would be the best citizens of any nation that you could have. They would be looking to be harmful and damaging and destructive. They would, be, they would be trying to live in a way that's right and productive and good. That's what the Bible brings us to. Women would be treated properly, not as some kind of merchandise. Children would be honored, but not put on a pedestal to their own destruction. Men would, be, would be, have proper manliness and, and uh, leadership about them and not tyrannically trying to rule over things. That's what God wants to produce. And so here they are, they're worshiping the Lord. There's a lot about it. And then verse 19, let's go on here. And the Levites of the children of the Kohathites, that's just different groups within that, those Levites, those, those priests. And of the children of the Korhites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel. So what happens is they're fearful. They seek the Lord. They fast. They're seeking the Lord. They're asking God for help. Then they're reminded of how powerful God is. And then the, the Levites say, we're supposed to worship the Lord. And then they start praising the Lord. And all of a sudden, here they are. They were scared to death. And now they've been encouraged in God to do what they ought to do. The Lord would like to do that. And then it says they... They stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a loud voice on high. By the way, don't be afraid to sing. Which I can't sing well. That's why you and I share the same type of special singing we're part of. It's called congregational. I've had a couple occasions where I've had people almost gotten upset with me. In fact, one it wasn't almost, they really did. They said, I want to sing in the choir. I said, you can't. They said, why? I said, because you can't sing. <laughs> They said, but I want to. I said, I want to too. What's it got to do with I can't have you taken. Everybody's standing around you so off key that it sounds like hymns for the atonal up here. No. I'd like to play the guitar too. You want me to go over there and start beating on that thing? I can't play it. Something more required than just want to. But God's made a wonderful thing. They're called hymns. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Hymns, if you want to know the the hymns are songs which are made to be sung by a congregation. That's a primary definition of what a hymn is. They're sung well by a group of people. There are many of good God songs which don't do well with a group as far as a large group. If you're to lead, it's a nightmare. You know God made this congregation. It was for us. Amen. I've, I'm, not serious. I'm not being funny with you. This morning, my voice doing strange things. I was offending myself up here. I was so off key. I couldn't even get near it. It was just annoying me, but I wanted to sing out. Be careful so I don't pick up clear into here. But they sang out with a loud voice. Come in and sing. Your mouth doesn't have closed like you're ashamed of what you're saying. Sing. You might be amazed if you knocked a little starch off how God might might actually work in you. I love it. And he said, Well, I'm afraid things will get out of hand. We're not teetering on that precipice right now, okay? And so they, they uh, cried out with a loud voice on high. Let's finish this out in verse 20. And, well, don't get chosen. 20 is not the last one, but we're getting close. 
And they rose early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah. Remember, this king had been fearful. He was afraid. Everybody gets afraid at times. And the inhabitants of Jerusalem believe in the Lord your God. That's the same fellow. He was scared. Had reason to be. But what happened? This worshiping, this praying, this praising God, this all this has got him. He says, now he's encouraging others to believe in God. <laughs> believe in the Lord your God. So shall you be established. You'll be put into the place. Believe in His prophets. So shall you prosper. He said He'll establish you by you believing uh, in God. He said then you believe the prophets, you'll prosper because they'll show you how to follow that God that you're supposed to believe in. And of course they were giving forth the Word of God which we have in its completed form now. Verse 21, And when He had consulted with the people, He appointed singers unto the Lord. Wait a minute, they got an army invading now. Huh. You know the last thing that Jesus did before He went to Gethsemane, don't you? They sung a hymn. He sang a hymn with His disciples. It might be important in the economy of God that we do this. He appointed singers unto the Lord and, the, and that should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and to say, praise the Lord for His mercy endureth forever. I love this verse. Look at verse 22. Look at verse 22. And when they had begun to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments. You know what that is, don't you? He's ambushing somebody. Remember him saying the battle was God's, not theirs? When they began to sing and to praise, what happened? Uh, The Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir which would come against Judah, and they were smitten. Look how it happens. For the children of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir. These these armies had gotten a confederacy together to come attack. But all of a sudden, they start fighting among themselves. And utterly, uh, Mount Seir, utterly to slay and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, everyone helped to destroy another. This saying, the Ammonites and Moabites turned against the people of Mount Seir and they start fighting. Who knows over what? They're ambushed. And they start at it and it builds up speed and so they forget about the the people of Judah and they're wiping each other out. And then when the Ammonites and Moabites take out all the people of Mount Seir, they turn on each other to complete the task. Verse 24, And when Judah came up uh, toward the watchtower in the wilderness, they looked unto the multitude. So they expecting this army to be there. And behold, they were dead bodies falling to the earth. They come up. Can you imagine? They go, okay, we're going to see this huge multitude of fights. They come up and they're just all laying there. Wow. And none escaped. That means when these last two idiots were standing, they took each other out. Talk about the ultimate friendly fire. And when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away the spoil of them, they found 
among them in abundance, both riches with the dead body and precious jewels, which they stripped off for themselves more than they could carry away. And they were three days in gathering of the spoil of so much. And on the fourth day, they assembled themselves in the valley of Barakah. For there they blessed the Lord. Therefore, the name of the same place was called the Valley of Berchai, as I said, unto this day. Then they returned every man to Judah and Jerusalem and Jehoshaphat in the forefront of them to go again to Jerusalem with joy for the Lord had made them to rejoice over their enemies. Just a few days before that, they had thought they were going to be dead and all their, 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 their families destroyed. And they came to Jerusalem with psalteries and harps and trumpets unto the house of the Lord. They went out with fear and humility and they came back with rejoicing and singing in victory. And look what happens. And the fear of God was on all the kingdoms of these countries when they had heard that the Lord fought against the enemies of Israel. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet for his God gave him rest round about. Afraid but faithful. You ever been afraid? Are you afraid now? Let's abide faithful. It's a real good time for you to remember who God is. A real good way to do that is to talk to Him in prayer and seek Him. Seek God. Seek Him. If you say, I'm already saved, seek God. Seek to know Him. Are you really satisfied with where you are in your life? Have you stopped to take the cost and count the cost of where your path is headed? Have you stopped to use the reasoning ability that God's given you to say, where's this going in a year, and five years, and ten years? Where will this path take me? And you need to stop and worship the Lord and seek Him and bring our ways into alignment with the Lord. Let me pray with you. Father, this morning, Your Word's been powerful and I thank You for it. I pray You'll help us. Lord, I don't know all the applications of it, but I certainly know that You want me to worship You better. More frequently. More honestly. And uh, I pray for Your people, Lord, that they would seek Him. Lord, not in a false or put on way, but Lord, just really seek You. May you be better honored because of your word today, I ask in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together. All right, now's a good time to start, isn't it? As we come, why don't you come this morning? Now's a real good time to start seeking the Lord. You say, What am I asking you to do? That's not it, you're just seeking him. God, I just want, I want to know you. First of all, do you know him as your Savior? I didn't say, Do you historically know that Jesus Christ came and is the Son of God? I said, Do you know him as your Savior? Have you faced the reality of your own sin and the fact you need Him? Where are you? It'd be a shame for you to leave this place without knowing the Lord. But people who take a Bible and open it and show you how the Scripture says you can be saved. You can be saved. As the piano plays, would you come? Would you come this morning? Would you set yourself to seek the Lord? 
we'd read the previous chapter about Jehoshaphat, you would find that God said he had set himself to seek the Lord. That means he positioned himself to go that direction. What are you setting yourself up for?